podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. in progress, striving to be the best version of me. Susan Verde wrote the picture books I Am Yoga, I Am Peace, and I Am Human in her wellness series. I Am Human is a hopeful meditation on all the great and challenging parts of being human. It shows that it's okay to make mistakes, while also emphasizing the power of good choices by offering a kind word or smile or by saying, I'm sorry. At its heart, this picture book is a celebration of empathy and compassion that lifts up the flawed fullness of humanity and encourages children and adults to see themselves as a part of one big, imperfect family, millions strong. Valeria Tellis interviews Susan Verde, Susan is a New York Times best-selling author. She grew up in the heart of Greenwich Village in New York City. Ultimately, she moved to the Hamptons where she earned a bachelor's degree in elementary education and a master's in reading remediation and became an elementary school teacher for many years. Now, Susan is an author capturing and celebrating the unique experience of children. Her titles include The Museum, The Water Princess, Rock and Roll Soul, and Hey Wall, A Story of Art and Community and Unstoppable Me. Her instant number one New York Times bestseller, I Am Human, a book of empathy, is part of a best-selling series including I Am Yoga, I Am Peace, and the New York Times bestseller, I Am Love, a book of compassion. Her most recent books are The Three Little Yogis and The Wolf Who Lost His Breath, as well as another in the I Am series, I Am One, a book of action. Susan's books continue to inspire children, educators, yoga practitioners, and mindful humans alike, helping to cultivate empathy and kindness in all of us. In addition to writing, Susan teaches yoga and mindfulness to kids of all ages. Here's the interview with Susan Verde. In your own words, who is Susan Verde? In my own words, well, I would say I'm a mother. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think that that stands out as what sort of defines me even before I had children. I think there was a a nurturing part of me just waiting to 
get out and, and care for people and, and children. So um, mother, human, you know, fallible, but doing my best. I think, I think that would define me. Female, of course, woman. I'm a teacher, but I'm also a student. Just moving through life with kind of an open heart and, and, and trying to connect and help. That's wonderful. Thank you. So I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your lovely book, I Am Human, a book of empathy. And my first warm-up question is, what is life? Oh, it's a warm-up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're jumping in. What is life? You know, life is an experience. Life is an opportunity to, to feel and to um, observe and learn and experience what you can in this seemingly one chance that we have. I mean, who knows for sure, but I think it's an experience. And if we can observe it, you know, um, and experience it, then, then, then we're in it, then we're living. What is the opposite of life? I think the opposite of life is being stagnant, being closed off, not being open to, to what's put in front of you, whether it's a challenge or not, just closing your mind and forgetting to, to see what's around you and to see the things that are the lessons that are there for you. I, I mean, I obviously, you know, the opposite of life could be death, but I think you can be not living while still alive if you're not paying attention. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It resonates. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Uh, I think freedom is really about not getting stuck in terms of um, your emotions. You know, you, you, you can be trapped in a house like we all are at this very moment, um, but you can still have freedom because you have your mind, you have your imagination, um, you have your ability to create, to share, to express yourself. So I, I think that's really freedom. It's just, it's just tapping into those things within yourself that are there and accessible to you and then, and then using them, taking advantage of them like that. Yeah, yeah. It's more within, it's a concept within. Yeah, it's definitely a concept within, okay. for sure. What is the most important person in your universe? Well, I have three most important in my universe. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, my, my children are really the most important in my universe. I mean, they're the ones who I, you know, I always wanted, who I connect with, who I empathize with, who I learn from, um, who I also have to let go of, you know, they're my, my teachers and the ones I teach. I think they're the, the most significant, important people in my universe. Wow. And you put them before yourself? Well... No, in that if I'm not taking care of myself and put, making myself important, I can't be there for them. So I think it's hard to say you're more important than you're, you know, but I, I think that's a challenge. But I, if I think about it, yes, of course, of course, because if I don't take care of me and take care of the things I need and, and learn and, you know, grow, then how can I how can I care for those or share with those in my universe? So yeah, I, you know, it would be me and then the three. 
Yes, right. Because it makes sense too. If you're not there for yourself, then you cannot be there for anyone. No, right? and you can't set an example of, I mean, what I want for them is for them to put themselves first, you know, to be, to love themselves most of all. So if I'm not showing that, you know, that's not an example for them. That's interesting, Susan, because this is a new question. And I have been asking some people, it's really difficult for people to say myself. It is. Why do you think is that? I think because, and even for me, it was right there. I think it's <laughs> yeah. because, you know, that making, t- saying that you are the most important has this connotation of selfishness, um, being self-centered and not caring about others. But I think that's wrong. I think actually the greatest thing you can do for someone else is to love yourself the most and care for yourself the most because that allows you to then have empathy and those other relationships and to care for others. So it's really interesting. I think we all have this idea that, you know, if we say we love ourselves the most, then there's something wrong with us. We're being selfish and we, we it kind of, shows that we don't care. But in fact, I think it's it's the opposite. So uh, you're right. You know, I'm very glad you brought that up because I know for me, I need to practice being able to say that out loud. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like it's not a shameful thing, you know? Right, right. And that's, like you said, compassion comes from that space. When we, uh, if you love yourself unconditionally, then you're able to love others the same way. What is the world's greatest need, in your opinion? Oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I think though overall the world's greatest need is connection. I would say it's connection and and empathy. Uh, because we need that, you know, if you think about things like the environment, you know, you can't care for something that you don't feel connected to or have empathy for. Um, so people who disconnect themselves from nature and from all the gifts and miracles and things that happen around us are the ones who tend to do the most harm. So I think what we really need is, is a sense of connection and empathy and an understanding that we are all sharing this same experience. So whatever our visible differences are, what's within us is, is the same. So we need, we need to see that in each other. Right. Do you connect this idea of caring to love? Caring? Well, sure. I mean, love, how, how do you love if you don't care? I mean, they, they have to go hand in hand. Right. How do you define love? What is your definition for love? I think love, there are many components to love. I think love is is really seeing someone. Love is acceptance. Love is forgiveness. Love is being able to let go. Love is giving space. And love is absolutely caring and kindness. So it has, I think love has a lot of layers to it. It sounds like wisdom to me. Everything you said is connected to deep understanding, wisdom. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What, where, and who is God to you? So I'm not a religious person, but that has not taken away my belief that there is something greater, something universal that we're all connected to and a part of. 
whether it's an energy or um, a feeling. I feel like I have faith. So I don't often use the word God, but I certainly use the word faith and belief. And so I, I just, I, I do think that there, there is some universal something that connects all of us and that there's some kind of plan going on. What do you think is the purpose of your life? I think the purpose of my life is just to pass some things on to my kids, to share what I've learned with others, and to, then to grow within myself and experience as much as I can. I mean, I think sometimes I forget, like everybody else does, to pause and kind of see the gifts that I've been given or the lessons that I've learned through all, all the things I've gone through so far. And I think my purpose is just to sort of be an example, an example of that, an example of how to experience, how to notice, and then to share that through my children and, and through my books and through my work. I, I think um, my hope is that I've at least shown someone that they are enough. Whatever they're experiencing, they are enough. So if I can do that for, you know, one person, I've done my job. I mean, I, I just, I feel like that's, that's sort of my, my purpose. Yeah, that's beautiful. In my last uh, warm-up question, if you... Oh, <laughs> Deep warm-up questions, yes. If you had a, a few minutes to live in your body and the world was listening, what would you say? What would I say? I mean, I would want to somehow say, you know, that we're, we're, we're all connected, we're all human. Somehow I would want to... Sh to share that idea that we are, you know, there's no need for fighting or hatred or prejudice or whatever, all these silly things that keep us from, from being a giant community that supports one another. So that's what I'd, I'd hope I'd be able to say. Yeah. And you are saying. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> that's great. So let's talk about your work, your book. What was the inspiration and the uh, intention to write the book, I Am Human, a book of empathy? Well, the book was the um, third in a series. It was not my, I, ha I have written many other books before and since, but um, I had created this series with this incredible illustrator, Peter Reynolds, and you said you, you love the illustrations. He has such a, such a gift. But so we had done a book called I Teach... Uh, children's yoga and mindfulness. And I had written a book called I Am Yoga. And then that was followed by I Am Peace, a book of mindfulness, because that just sort of felt like a really nice, you know, one with one followed well with, um, from the other. But then I Am Human, actually, it was, I was at a, a dinner with my illustrator and his wife and my daughter and his son. And his son and my daughter were playing or talking to each other. And one of them did something. And I think my daughter said, well, that's all right. You're, you know, you're only human. And um, Peter and I started having this conversation about, you know, how, what it means to be human. 
um, the mistakes we make and, and the choices we have and the things we have in common. And it's just was a light bulb went off. And I thought, oh, well, this, you know, this has to be something we share with kids of all ages, <laughs> yeah. right? To remind yeah. them that what empathy means and that we are all human. There, there were, are and have been so many things going on in the world that felt very and feel very divisive. And I think people are forgetting how to um, communicate with each other in a kind way, whether or not we agree, um, and forgetting all the things that we have in common. Uh, and so I really wanted kids, especially from a young age, to understand all these things that we share. And because of that, you know, they can, they can choose kindness. And so that's, that's where the whole idea came from. And that is true. Yeah. Teaching children, it might be the best way because it's uh, for adults hard to do the work of unlearning. It certainly is. <laughs> uh, but we can, I think it's possible. It is possible, isn't it, Susan? I agree. I agree. Of course. And I mean, that's part of the idea in the book is that, you know, we make mistakes as, as part of being human, as the hu part of the human experience, but we can learn from those. So I think it's definitely not impossible. Yeah, I agree. So my next question has to do with the word empathy. How is empathy different from compassion and sympathy? I think empathy is a, a real... Um, understanding of someone else's experience, a willingness to see something from someone else's point of view. Compassion is a lovely thing and, you know, and very needed and very similar. You, you feel for someone, you feel, you know, sorry for someone who's hurting or sorry for someone who's sad or, um, or hungry or whatever. But I think empathy is really putting yourself in that experience and saying, you know, I see you sad. I'm going to really think about what that feels like for me. And knowing what that feels like for me, I can then choose to help you the way I would want someone to help me. So I think it's a real, uh, you know, uh, grasping on to a universal feeling, putting yourself in the position of somebody else. And, and, and it, requires some effort, some thought, you know, not just a feeling of, oh, I'm sad because of this or that, but it's, it's more about, oh, you're feeling this way. I know what that feels like. Let me see if I can understand what that would feel like. Even if I disagree with you, let me see, and then I can help you. In the book, you say, I'm finding my way in choosing my path. So I have two questions. How do we know when we have found our way, our purpose? Um, yeah, let me stay with that question and then I'll ask the second later. I think maybe you know and maybe you don't know. I mean, I feel like because you may think you've found your purpose, but then from there it leads to something else. So I think, I think you don't always know, but when you do know... I think uh, the world kind of opens up a bit, right? You found sort of your purpose. So if I'm, if I'm feeling like my purpose is to help kids understand that, that their human experience is 
okay is, is felt by so many and that they have the tools to support themselves, right? So that's my purpose. But that being my purpose then opens up the many ways in which I can do that, which then may lead to something else entirely. You know, so um, I think your purpose is maybe your, your, your general feeling of what you want to give, but then that leads you other places on your journey. So it's not, our purpose might not be something that we have, let's say, planned. It's not exactly that. Right. It might, it might be a desire, a uh, feeling that can lead to, yes, something else. Exactly. Exactly. You <laughs> might have your plan, but that plan yeah. may not exactly be <laughs> what really fulfills you, what really um, helps you grow. Yeah. So. And that leads to my question about choosing. How do we know when we are choosing? and um, or controlling, trying to control even ourselves? Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. You know, I think um, we obviously are making decisions all the time, but I do feel like within the choosing, you are, you are led places, you know? So we are choosing, but choosing is just a piece of our journey. So you know, we, there's obviously so many things we can't control. So again, you may have your plan, you may have your choice, and that's beautiful and wonderful, but be ready for that to lead you elsewhere, somewhere else to open things up, right? So the choice is really kind of in the, to keep moving, to keep going in the direction that, that fills you, that fills your soul, that makes you feel good, but then there will be things that are not of your choosing. And, and things will shift one way or the other. Right. And that's, uh, in a way, it's important to be open then. Right. Because then we let uh, things happen without, without having to choose all the time. <laughs> that can be stressful. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as, you know, in the book, I mean, obviously, so the audience is a, is a, is a younger audience, although I have a lot of adults and college students and people who also read, read these books. But um, I think just being on that journey, you know, finding your way, choosing your path, it's just really to express the idea that we are all on this journey together. So we're all, you know, trying to figure it out at the same time. You're not alone in the fact that you're trying to figure out what's going on or find your way or, you know, choose what's happening. So it, it was more, it's more the idea that we're all, we're all in this together. And that's true. Another observation I made here was about perfection. And you mentioned um, earlier in the conversation and also in your book, you say, being human means I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. So this is uh, something that's very challenging for most of us to do, is to accept our mistakes and learn from them. So I'm wondering... What do you suggest? What what is the what are the methods that we can use to live a life in alignment with this truth that we are not perfect? Well, it's so funny. My my son, when he was about, I don't know, four or five years old, he asked me, he said, Why does the word perfect exist? There's no such thing. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're brilliant. Yeah. But you know, it's true. I'm not sure who set up these, these ideals of perfection, even the most perfect person, situation, whatever it is, has some flaw. 
There's no, there really is, it should really be a word that's just abolished. <laughs> I mean, it really should. But I think, you know, we have to, un, I, I think it's just um, this, the same way we were talking earlier about being hard on yourself or not being able to say you put yourself first, right? Because it feels like a selfish kind of thing. And um, it's, it's also this idea of perfection that, that we're, we have to strive to be perfect. We have to work to be perfect. We can't, it's just, I think we have to understand that it, like my son said at four, it's just not reality. There is no perfection. And the most beautiful things happen from the mistakes, from the flaws, from the things that go wrong, because it's in that space where we learn and grow if we can be aware of it. Um, if we can stop beating ourselves up about it, you know, um, those are, those are the opportunities. I think I was talking to someone about that, that Japanese, um, form of art where the, the cracks of pieces of pottery or teacups or what have you are filled with gold instead of the object being tossed. And the, the gold, the cracks, the spaces are, are what make the piece beautiful. So I think if we, continue to communi really communicate with each other, pay attention to each other, we'll recognize that there is no one who is perfect. So that people may look, you know, you go on social media and you see all these perfect, well, if you're a yogi, let's say, you see all these perfect yoga poses and all these perfect, but the reality is it took, you know, 25 takes to get that one pose in the mid shot and the rest of that person's practice is falling over. I mean, there's just no, there's no such thing. So I think, I think, but, it, but I think it has to be a real um, conscious reminder that we give ourselves that when we're feeling like we're imperfect, instead of berating ourselves for that, whether that voice is, you know, a parent when we were growing up or wherever that voice comes, is to remember that there is no such thing. There is no such thing. And the growth comes in the imperfection. The change comes in the imperfection. So true. So I like that, Susan. The, the first thing, self-awareness. So being aware of that voice, the inner critic. And maybe perhaps we talked earlier about, not sure if you mentioned self-love, but maybe self-acceptance, that might be the antidote to all of that. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I believe in it. I think it's very hard to achieve. <laughs> I do. Because again, no, we all do have that. I mean, I don't really know anyone who doesn't have that inner critic. I, I, I think that that may just be a part of being human. I, 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 you know, I know specifically who my voice is, right? I know where that's coming from. Other people may not know. Um, but I think, I think the goal is unconditional self-love. I think it's it takes work. Yeah, it goes back perhaps self awareness, right? Yes, we have to practice anyway. That um, in your book you say I can be fearful of things I don't yet understand and timid to try something new. Talk to me about the fear of the unknown and the fear to explore new possibilities. I think um, a lot of things that we do in our lives uh, come from fear. I know for me, I mean, for example, 
what's going on in the world right now. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of unknown, right? I'm, by the time you air this, maybe things will have calmed down. But right now while we're speaking, there's this pandemic going on and there's so much unknown and it creates a lot of fear, which then turns into a lot of what if, what if, and a lot of worst case scenario and catastrophizing and all of this stuff. Um, I think, you know, fear, fear drives a lot of our behaviors. And I think, um, I think it drives a lot of our behaviors in terms of um, bigger concepts like racism, um, anti-Semitism, um, all kinds of things like that. I know personally, when I think about it, you know, my father was a very fearful guy and he was, he showed that a lot through anger. He yelled a lot. As I got older, I learned I figured out that so much of his anger was his fear. And so because I knew that, I was able to be more compassionate with him and kind of change that a bit in terms of our relationship. But I think, you know, um, fear is something that we all struggle with. And I think when we're in the midst of feeling a certain emotion or um, having a certain reaction to something, it's important to consider is that fear? To ask ourselves, is that fear? And then if it's fear, what are we afraid of? If we, I feel like sometimes if we can name the fear, um, we can realize that it's, it's, it's not as scary as we think, or there are, there are ways we can get support, or there are ways we can let it go or kind of confront it that help us move through it. Fear is a big thing. It is, yeah. yeah. I like that asking the question. Yeah, what is real? What's not real? That's um, that helps asking questions, right? To clear that for sure. You talked about something interesting to me: um, that poor choices can become better choices with thoughtfulness. So that's my question: How can poor choices become better choices with thoughtfulness? Well, I think it all comes back to sort of the same thing we've been kind of talking about, that that self-awareness. You know, if you make a poor choice, everybody makes a poor choice sometimes. And you have the opportunity to reflect on it, to learn from it, to think about it, to be thoughtful about it, and then make a better choice, make a different choice. Um you know, apologize or uh, do change something, change your behavior, change something in your circumstances. But you, you can't do these things unless you're, you're thoughtful, you're thinking about them, you're aware of them. So it's not the fact that you made a poor choice. Everybody's going to make a poor choice at some point, multiple times in their lives. It's about that awareness, that thoughtfulness, that consideration of, okay, I've made this poor choice. This is what has happened, but I can make a better one because I'm aware of it. If I'm not aware of it, then I, I, I can't change it. So in a way, um, being self-aware also opens up the uh, possibilities. So we see more. Yeah. And we can do better. Yeah, that resonates. Earlier, you talked about faith 
and belief. Um, you also mentioned hope. And this is, was one of my questions too here at the end. You mentioned I'm full of hope in the book. So I'm wondering if hope, faith, and trust, they are the same. And why do we need them when we have experience in wisdom? You know, I think hope, faith, and trust are intertwined, enmeshed. I think we gain our wisdom because we we have faith, we trust, we have hope. If we have something we believe in, if we have not, I'm not saying God per se, but just something we believe in, something that motivates us, something that moves us, that's where we gain our wisdom. That's how we're open. You know, we, we have faith in in things we can't control. And then we learn, we learn from them. We have trust that the steps we're taking will lead us where we need to go. And we learn. So our wisdom, I think, comes from the faith, the trust, and the hope. And I, and I think faith, trust, and hope also are things that help us view others with compassion if and empathy. If we um, are hopeful if we have faith in in our our friends, our strangers, our fellow humans. We can learn how to coexist peacefully. But I think you know we we all those things are sort of intertwined: the wisdom, the faith, the trust, and the hope. They sort of feed each other. I like the way you um, actually bring the idea of hope, faith, trust. They come before the experience. Because in order to experience, we need to have trust in something, ourselves or someone or the circumstances. So that is interesting. I never heard it that way. Well, yeah, you, you know, you, you can't learn in a vacuum, right? You have to trust that whatever you're doing, whatever w- direction you're going, you have to have faith in that. And that's where you're going to learn, whether you learn that it was the, the wrong way to go and something else is different or better or whatever. But You have to sort of put that first foot in front of the other and have that faith and trust that the ground is going to be there, you know? Yeah, very true. Very, very true. Talk to me about meditation, specifically the loving kindness meditation. I love the loving kindness (laughs) meditation. Yeah, it is beautiful. (laughs) Um, I love it for so many reasons. So meditation is interesting because... I, you know, I've done transcendental meditation. I do mindfulness meditation, all that kind of thing. And I love my meditation practice, but I love it because I, I understand that there's, I really understand that there's no right or wrong. I, I understand that I am not sitting down to meditate to shut off my brain so I don't hear it at all. It just, it doesn't work like that. Um, and I, but I particularly love the loving kindness meditation because, um, it's an amazing one to teach the, to kids. They, they completely resonate with it. Um, it's a beautiful one to send all of that loving energy to out into the world and also to yourself. So there's that self piece in there. Um, and it can be modified to be simpler for kids. But it's also, you know, I have, I have this belief that we are all energy and the energy that we put out can spread very, very far, you know. Um, and so I think that if 
children in particular can understand how their good energy, how their positive, loving energy that starts with themselves can spread, can be shared. Um, it's really empowering. And I think it, it makes a, a real um, impression on them. And, ju- and it's just, it's also, I love it because it's, there's a structure to it. Um, so, right. So you're not, you you know, just how it goes and how you're saying it. And, and, and then there's also a, a science to it. You know, it's been shown to light up those parts of the brain that are responsible for empathy and kindness. So it has all these incredible effects, but it's just, it's also very soothing. So it just, I just, I just think it's a beautiful way of meditating. And it is. Can you um, read that to me, Susan? Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I can. The one from directly from the book. So just right from the meditation itself. So should we just read it or should we try to memorize it and prepare before kind of be in a quiet place, close our eyes? Is there any instructions? Yeah, that would be lovely. Sure. Okay. So my suggestion, if you're going to do this loving kindness meditation, is to find a comfortable place. Um, You can sit up in a comfortable seat. You can lie down um, just somewhere where you feel your body feels very relaxed. Uh, You can lean against a wall. You can sit in the middle of the room, really wherever you feel most at ease. I'm actually going to sit on the floor while we're doing this. And you can cross Mm -hmm. your legs. You can place your hands on your belly. If you're lying down, that's really nice. You can close your eyes. And anyone who's not comfortable closing your eyes, because sometimes closing your eyes can feel not okay. Um, If you're not comfortable closing your eyes, just look down at the floor in front of you so you're just not distracted by all the things around you or if there's other people around you. And the first thing I would ask you to do is to bring to mind someone that you love that's easy to love, that you love very much, whether it's your parents, your siblings, your best friend, your teachers, whomever it is, just picture them sitting right in front of you. And they're right there. And now I want you to say to them, and you can say it in your mind, may you be healthy. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you be filled with peace. And just sit with them for a moment. And now let them get up and walk away. And now invite someone to sit in front of you that maybe you have some challenges with, that maybe things are not as easy right now. Um, and, but just picture that they're sitting there in front of you. And again, I'd like you to repeat in your mind to that person, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering, may you be filled with peace. And notice how that feels to say that to someone who might be a little more challenging to be around. Now let them walk away. And then bring to mind 
maybe some other humans on the planet, right? Some, some people perhaps you don't know, but you're aware that they might need a little extra love and support. Maybe it's some people who don't have enough water. Maybe it's children in schools who are struggling. Maybe it's some, somebody you've heard of. Or maybe it's even some animals that you know need caring for. Bring that to mind and say to those humans or those beings, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering, may you be filled with peace. And now what I'd like you to do is imagine you're looking in a mirror and you're looking at yourself right in front of you. And I want you to say to yourself, may I be healthy. May I be happy. May I be free from suffering. May I be filled with peace. And just take a moment to notice how that makes you feel. And what I'd like you to do is take a deep breath in through your nose and really fill your body with warmth and love and good feeling, all that oxygen. And then very, very slowly let all of the air out. Let all of that loving feeling spread out in the room, into the world. And then you can open your eyes and just take a moment to notice how that made you feel. And you can repeat those phrases as often as you want. You know, if you're imagining someone you really love sitting in front of you, you can do it two or three times, say those things or to yourself. Maybe you need a little extra self-love. So repeat it a few times, right? Just just let yourself be. It, it, there's no length it has to be or doesn't have to be. You can really just make it your own. That's wonderful. And it's very powerful. Thank you, Susan. You're so welcome. Yeah, the mind and the body res respond to it immediately. And I noticed that there's one phrase that my body and the mind, they kind of lined and they responded with more, with vibration. That was interesting to notice is that may you be free from suffering. Yeah, That is a really powerful line. I feel the same way when I, when I say that. Um, you know, there are many variations on loving kindness, but there's always a piece about um, free from suffering or may, you know, free from harm, things like that. I think, and I think it's again, sort of, um, you know, reinforcing that everyone suffers in some way. And so no matter who you are, wishing that or, or hoping or sending some kind of message to be free from suffering is very universal. You know, it's a thing we all experience. Interesting. And also maybe because by being free from suffering, then now we are healthy, we're happy, we can be happy, healthy and at peace. And, and there's your hope and your faith and your trust right there. Right. Right. <laughs> Would you like to add anything else before I ask you my final questions? <laughs> no, I think, my gosh, we've, <laughs> we've gone deep. I don't even know what I would add. No, I think I'm ready for your questions. Thank you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? You know, I have 
struggled with anxiety. I certainly have um, a very loud inner critic. And I think the hardest lesson for me was to learn that I am, I am worth loving. That was, a, that was very hard. And it took me a long time to really, really feel and believe that. Um, because there were a lot of things that that got in the way of that. So that that was difficult. Yeah, I think we all can relate to it. I can relate yeah. to it. Um, what is another word for healing? I think another word for healing is nourishing. You know, if we're nourished, if we're full, if we're um, satisfied in that way and, and really feeding ourselves with the things that make us feel good, um, and loved and better about ourselves within ourselves, that's the same as healing. Yeah. And I asked you a question earlier at the beginning about if you knew you had a few minutes to live in your body, what would you, what would you say to the world? Um, I'll ask you a, a similar question, but different somehow. If you knew you would die soon, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think, you know, I can be a little bit, um, I have my routines and my rigidity and I, I might loosen up a bit, <laughs> let some things go. Um, I think I would certainly make an effort to, to let all the people I love know how much I love them and how, you know, how wonderful they are. Um, and um, not that I don't, I feel like I do that a lot anyway, I feel like you should always, if you feel something about someone in a positive way, you should, you should always let them know there's no bad time for that. But I, I think I would probably loosen up a bit more, um, and try to, you know, um, go out laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Laugh more, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are three things about life you know for sure? That nothing is permanent that there is real, real goodness out there and that it is an experience that should be experienced, that those who are living should allow themselves to feel all the feelings and to experience all the experiences, but not to get stuck in them. So I, I know that those are out there for us to to be in, in, to, to be in it, to be experiencing. How wonderful. It has been a peaceful conversation, meaningful. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you. And my final question is, uh, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yes. Um, thank you for asking. So um, you can find out all about me and my books and all the things I do, the school visits and workshops and all of that wonderful stuff um, on my website, which is susanverde.com, V-E-R-D-E. And um, I'm also on Instagram at Susan Verde, where I do um, some live readings and I've been doing some IGTV posts about just short little meditations and mantras that you can share with your family. And I'm on Facebook, Susan Verde also, and Twitter. And those are the places you can find me. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Susan, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. 
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Susan Verde, please visit her website, susanverde.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.